All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Future Careers panel hosted by PhD Balance. My name is Phelan, and I'm a PhD candidate in biochemistry at UCLA, and I am so excited to be moderating this chat. Today, we're going to talk with a few amazing panelists on their careers outside of academia, what their experience was transitioning out of academia, and some tips for you if you're considering a similar journey. So welcome to our panelists. I'll let you all introduce yourselves. If you could just give a brief description of your graduate school work and describe what your current position is. So why don't we start with Paul, if you wanna go first. Sure, thanks Faye. And thanks for the invitation to be part of this panel. I'm really excited. So hi everyone, my name is Paul Evans. Uh, for my graduate career, I, I received my PhD in neuroscience in 2016 from Emory University. And while I was there, I had a really exciting project working on hippocampus and these particular set of neurons uh, called the CA2 subregion, and actually a gene there that naturally restricts learning and memory in everyone. This is a pretty cool project. As part of my graduate work, I was lucky to get some fellowship support and I was able to go to NIH for a year and learn uh, how to do some electrophysiology, as well as do a year collaboration at Max Planck Florida Institute for Neuroscience. And the lab I was collaborating with there was a great fit. So after finishing my PhD, I did a short postdoctoral fellowship and I've loved it here so much. I've now switched into science administration. I did that in June, 2018. And now I am the head of scientific training at Max Planck Florida Institute for Neuroscience. Awesome, welcome Paul. All right, next, Andrea, if you wanna go next. Hi all, thanks for having me today. I'm excited to meet you all and answer your questions. Um, I'm Andrea Heinemann. I did my PhD in molecular biology at the Ohio State University. Uh, my research focused on chemicals that mimic hormones in the body or endocrine disruptors and their impact on breast cancer risk. And I used mouse or rodent models and uh, human cell-based models to look at that. Um, I did a short postdoc. I asked Paul, how long his short postdoc was. Um, mine was one and a half years. Um, and that was more of my uh, attempt at a transition to more applied toxicology and um, exposure science and biomonitoring. And now I'm in a science policy position with the American Association for the Advancement of Science, supporting the Department of Defense in chemical materials risk management. Awesome. Uh, Camelia, you want to go next? Hi, um, thank you for having me. So um, I got my PhD at Stony Brook University. I got my PhD in neuroscience um, in 2019. And while I was there, I looked, I was looking at a neuronal repressor complex called REST and how it, um, it develops and it, um, it uh, neurogenesis begins in zebrafish. And so looking at the different components of the REST complex and how the different components either um, accelerate or inhibit the, um, I guess, the growth um, of neurons within the nervous system. And so after I graduated in 2019, I um, was exploring my different options. And then I became a medical writer in the end of last year. So I guess we'll get through the whole process of transitioning outside of academia. And so now I'm a medical writer at um, 21 grams. Awesome. And Amanda. Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Amanda Presky. I earned my PhD from the University of Rochester in 2016. My research in the Department of Chemistry was focused on developing a programmable crystallization reaction to produce semiconductor nanocrystals. Um, we care about those because they're really useful materials for uh, bioimaging, for making really efficient solar panels, and for developing, uh, maybe you're familiar with the quantum dot television so that's the commercialization side of it. Um, but in 2016, I, upon defending, transitioned immediately to running my company called Circuit Breaker Labs full time. And the purpose of my company is to transform electronic waste into gift items and custom art pieces. So circuit boards, resistors, capacitors, and things like that that are considered trash are turned into products that I then distribute to end users, um, science museums, and such. All right. It's awesome to see so many diverse people here at 
this panel. So we have a list of questions that are going to cover things ranging from what that transition is like, what is it like in your current position, and any other tips you have for people thinking about going through this journey. So if we just want to jump in, one of the first questions we have here is, which of your PhD skills are most useful to you now in your current career position? And what new skills did you have to develop? So if anyone want to take a first stab at that. Um, I guess I can start. Uh, so most important is critical thinking skills, um, just being able to rely on my scientific expertise to inform, in my case, um, science policy, um, you know, able to look at studies and understand, in my case, how chemicals impact, impact human health and what types of policies we need to do and the underlying science for critical effects. Um, I think in my role as in science policy right now is um, evaluating the effectiveness of policies we either make or partnerships we do to increase impact of the policies we make. And so evaluation and monitoring skills is a skill that I've been developing during my fellowship time, um, in particular to look at um, the value of an interagency um, government partnership that I've been cultivating during my fellowship. Okay. Um, the skills that I would say were the most useful for me to transfer to my career now would be um, being able to take in a lot of information, be it scientific papers or um, information at conferences, and also being able to relay that. Um, so being able to effectively communicate, be it in your writing or um, oral presentations, which grad students do a lot of, whether it be presentations or poster presentations. Um, and also just being able to, I guess, effectively, I guess, uh, take in very new information as well. So when working on a project, you'll be working on either different systems that you were not particularly trained in or different disease states that you know nothing about. It's so only being able to take that in quickly, become somewhat of an expert in that disease state in a short amount of time and be able to regurgitate that is something I found useful in grad school and very, useful in my current career? I find that uh, there are two things that are really important as a business owner that I learned from working in science for so long. And one is using the scientific method outside of science and the other is resilience. Um, with COVID happening last year and continuing into this year, it, it really struck a lot of small businesses and mine was affected as well. Um, the way I ran my day-to-day -day operations had to change. Um, but I think from years and years of running experiments that didn't quite work and having to reevaluate and reposition and try some new things has really <laughs> proven to be a useful skill set, um, especially these last couple of years. Um, and then with the scientific method, I find that a lot of people in business, specifically or especially arts-based businesses, they don't take a very analytical approach to problem solving or strategizing. And I find that when I talk to other artists um, who have businesses, that when I bring these things up, it's sort of like, oh, so if you consider the numbers that are involved in the decision-making, you can make much more strategic and informed decisions. And I think all of that sort of process learned through grad school and undergrad and, and so on, have really trained me to think about things in a structured and, and disciplined way that is really great for running a business. And uh, I guess, for me to finish it out, what I thought was most transferable for my PhD is probably an amalgamation of what the other panelists have said, which is the ability to take in lots of different types of science. I always enjoyed going to meetings and uh, hearing the latest talks of what was hot and checking out new posters that were different from what I did. And now in my job where I manage our operations administration of our training programs, I need to be able to give people mentorship and feedback on a bunch of different projects that weren't just my type of science. So it's the ability to take in all that information and critically think about it. Um, some other things that were really important for my PhD were the extra things I did. Uh, so not just what I was doing in the lab, but I was involved in uh, leadership at the university and uh, also did some outside event organization for some conferences. So learning how to manage my time and also how to organize schedules and those types of things really um, has come in handy. If you can throw a good mixer, you can do a lot of things in life. Um, but I would say uh, the new things I've had to pick up um, since moving over this position are how to structure a budget and how to work with numbers. I uh, 
of course, it was always pixels or whatever value in a spreadsheet. So it's not entirely different, but just actually be in the process and also say no. <laughs> I think that's something I've had to learn more and more of is how to draw the line of um, what is feasible to do to make sure you do a good job at everything. Yes, I'll echo that. Setting boundaries. <laughs> boundaries are so important. <laughs> As the someone who is active in mental health advocacy, yes, boundaries are so important. <laughs> All right, amazing. So this next question, I think a lot of grad students are curious about. It says, how supportive was your graduate advisor of your career choice? Uh, I'll, I'll start this one off. Um, my advisor was supportive of the idea that I did not want to pursue a career in academia, but um, his his statement to me, to me was more so like, this is great, but this is the path this is the path I took, and this is the only one I know how to help you with. Um, so he was comfortable helping me um, if I wanted to get a postdoc, but did not know how to position me if I wanted to become, to go into the track of communication or science communication. So it kind of felt like, I support your decision to, to veer off this path, but this is as far as I can help you. Um, so it was, it was, I understood that because that, again, that is um, what his expertise was in, but I never felt, um, I didn't feel not supported by my advisor, I guess was my path. So I uh, was in a fortunate situation where I was with a very supportive graduate mentor and the trainees from the lab have gone into a variety of science related careers, not just the strict postdoc PI route, but that people were involved in patent law uh, medical writing and such. And so uh, it was actually very important when I joined my graduate lab, my advisor sat me down. So what do you want to do? It's like, of course, I want to do a postdoc. I want to have my own lab. This is the way I'm going. He goes, okay, that's cool. But you've got to learn about all these other careers to make sure this is the one you want, because that's the only way you're really going to know. And he was completely supportive when I decided to uh, switch careers. He was one of the first people I called. And uh, you know, one of the motivations for me switching careers was having undergraduate student debt and loans to pay back that kicked in during grad school and postdoc, which was something I wished wouldn't be a consideration of my happiness in my career, but ended up being. And it was nice that my advisor supported me for my personal situation too. Even before we were to the point where I was considering defending, uh, my advisor was on my side. Um, he knew I had <laughs> these creative uh, endeavors outside of grad school. I don't think he realized the extent of it. Um, so when I was scheduling my defense and had not asked for a letter of recommendation and had not done any job talk preparations or anything like that, he knew something was up. Um, and so when he wasn't surprised, so I think that part of it, just knowing who I am and how I operate um, and being supportive of that was amazing. And so it was real fun when I officially announced that I was going to be running Circuit Breaker Labs as my career, uh, he went over to his computer and showed me some art that he had just purchased, <laughs> trying to connect with me on that level. Um, the only place I really felt not supported, but it wasn't necessary, was from other chemistry faculty in the department. They had all heard that I was defending and wanting to know what my future plans were. And most people were so confused, partially because they didn't know me or my skill sets or what I was interested in. And so I think when they hear the word artist, they think it's the complete opposite thing when in reality, I think art and science go very well together and it could go a long way to maybe include more arts in our education, um, maybe undergrad, I don't know where that would fit in in a grad school situation, but creativity is really important and I wish I had been better spoken or prepared for those interactions so that maybe I could have started some more interesting dialogue with those sort of professors that were stuck in the academia is the way and that is all there is. Yeah, I faced um, very early adversity um, in the graduate school interviewing process. So I hope I, I interviewed um, around 2011, 2012. And so I hope it's changed a little bit since then, um, at least at some of the schools I applied to anyway. Um, I was fully transparent about my intent to go to graduate school and it was completely to get the technical training I needed to inform science policy. Like that was my goal all along. 
Um, I don't recommend that goal because it's kind of hard to endure five to six years of a PhD program or more, depending where you end up, um, uh, with the intent knowing that you didn't want to do bench work for the rest of your life um, and just to go into science policy. But I mean, for example, for this AAAS fellowship, I, you can't do this fellowship without a PhD. Um, and I think I needed the critical thinking skills. Um, so anyway, I was transparent about that in my interviews. I literally had two graduates programs shut the door in my face. Um, one program insisted on calling me after my in-person interview to further, you know, interrogate me on whether or not I really wanted to do research. So that was pretty disheartening. Luckily, I found a home at Ohio State and I found an advisor who I was his first graduate student and he came from he had a great background for being understanding of other interests outside of academia because he did his, um, he went out of undergrad into an industry position and then he went back to grad school and then he did a postdoc at NIH. So he had all of that in his background and so transparent about doing science policy and going into government. He was supportive, but like Emilio was saying, he couldn't really help me beyond oh, this looks like a good job site to look at. If you don't want an academic position, I'm like, thanks. I think I got this covered. Um, and thankfully I did. Um, <laughs> but I don't know what I would have done if I didn't build up my network to support me to um, kind of move towards where I am now. And a lot of that was um, uh, professional societies. I joined societies that were actually ones that my advisor wasn't a part of just so I could network into the different sectors that I needed to. Um, so I think having a really solid plan um, helps your helps your advisor want to support you because if you can kind of quantify it and tell them what you need, like specifically and why, I think they really can't do anything but support that. And in my case, my advisor actually paid for something that was unrelated to my research, unrelated to what I was doing into the lab, just because I made it very clear that I needed this professional development and he paid for it. And I never expected that. So, yeah. Cool. I think this leads into our next question nicely, where it says, unfortunately, there is sometimes sometimes a stigma associated with choosing an alternative, quote, alternative career that is not academia. Did you have such an experience? If so, how did you handle it? If other panelists want to share their stories. I mean, tying into what Andrea said, I think if you fully understand and this part, reaching this part is hard, understanding what you want and what you want to do. If you can get to that point, you can articulate why you're there and why you have the skills to do it. So I feel like if you're to that point, you can tell people why you're doing what you're doing and maybe help fight back some of that stigmatism. But some people will not, <laughs> will not hear you out. And I can see that being especially more difficult if maybe um, you don't know what you want to do. So I think in the middle of my PhD process, I wasn't quite ready. I wasn't considering my business um, as a full-time career option. So I was considering um, other research-based jobs. I knew I didn't want to do academia. I had worked as an analytical chemist at Xerox in several different, in several different positions. So I had a working understanding of what it would be like in an industry setting. And I thought that's where I would end up. Um, but <laughs> I think um, if, if you're struggling, at least with identifying what you want to do, some of those, um, I know ACS puts on one um, for the American Chemical Society anyway, and I'm sure other um, societies do as well, where you can sort of see what the career options are and talk to people in career counseling, and they can help you pin down those sorts of things. But I imagine someone in that position who has interacted with so many other people with different backgrounds and going into different careers would also be able to help you maybe pin down those bits about yourself that you can't quite figure out or articulate yet. Um, I would like to echo with what Amanda just said. Um, I think the, the stigma or the pressure that, the internal pressure maybe, and also the stigma comes with not knowing what you wanna do while you're progressing through grad school. And, um, the problem I find in grad school is that there aren't too many resources available or uh, um, you're not aware of the resources that might be available to help you figure that out. Um, so when I was in grad school, a, a group of PhDs that had successfully transitioned outside of academia came back and created this program called the PhD Ladders to help um, grad students currently who were aware or who wanted to become more aware of other career options. And it was like a I, I believe it was like a six week course or something where um, 
they gave little assignments. So graduate students can either like have um, informational interviews with people and so we become aware of different um, careers. And I didn't start taking, I didn't take that course till my last year of grad school. So um, it wasn't up until my last year that I became aware that I did, like I became sure that I did not want to do bench work. And so that mad dash to figure out what I wanted to do caused the stress. And also when other people are asking like, hey, are you gonna do a postdoc and you say no, that's when you feel the stigma. So um, I would say being aware of the opportunities that your institution um, provides and also figuring out a little bit earlier in your graduate school, school career, if this is actually what you wanna do. And if not, then branching out and figuring out what those things are. And um, a resource that I found very useful was a site called My IDP. So it's like you take a quiz and it kind of lines up um, your personality, your, your skill set with careers that might best suit that. And so that's a great place to start if you're not even aware of different careers and not aware of what skill set you have and the kind of um, the kind of attributes that you have that can best be suited for different careers. So I would start off with that site as a jumping off point. So in terms of stigma about, I guess, transitioning away from the bench and being in a career in science administration where I do, I mean, the education outreach sector, um, and I'm at the same institute that I postdoc at, I think some people just had a slight misconception that, oh, he must have gotten in a fight with his advisor. That's why he switched to a different type of position and isn't a postdoc anymore which is couldn't be further from the truth because I love my postdoc advisor. And that was one of the hardest choices was not working with him every day actually made me really sad to think about, but now we work together all the time on different projects. So it's lots of fun. Um, but I think uh, the only other time I encountered any stigma, which no one meant anything bad by it was uh, we were planning a course for our PhD students and uh, one of the faculty had mentioned uh, who didn't know me, they were from another institute and they were like, wow, for an administrator, you sound like you know something about a microscope. And I'm just like, I yeah, worked around them for a couple of years, but you know, smile. Yeah, I'm going to be organizing the whole course. Thank you. But in general, I don't think anyone really means any ill will towards it. They're just making little offhanded comments, at least in my experience. I guess the only little story I'll share is um, my advisor had a colleague who ended up uh, being a uh, scientist that demonstrates um, products for a biotech company. And um, they went to grad school together and I was telling him, oh, I think it's so cool he does this. And you know, he gets to balance his family and work life the way he does. Cause the guy told me about that. Um, and my advisor was like, oh, well, he's just jealous of me still. And I was just like, I don't know if everyone wants to be an academic professor, but okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think everyone covered it and I shared my story. I will add a couple tools. The um, career IDP tool that Camelia just said is great. There's two other ones that come to mind. Um, Imagine PhD and Versatile PhD are also similar tools that you can use to explore career paths. So maybe try them out and see which one you like better. Um, and then I liked, I think the point either, one of the, you know, someone said something about um, fighting back against that stigma and, um, I think, you know, it, like we said, it's realizing what you really want to do. And so I encourage you to make a little bit of space. I know it's hard because it feels really demanding to be in your PhD program trying to do your research every day. You really need to find a little bit of time if you can to um, really hone in on what you care about and how you're going to get there. And for me, that was doing, um, like Paul said, I did some student government to position myself for a policy kind of type career. Um, and then informational interviews, like Camelia said, like do them now. I'm doing them now to network within the government to get feelers out for positions and stuff. But that also really helps you realize what you like and what you don't like by asking people how they got where they are. So I would just kind of emphasize that. Awesome. So on the vein of prepping for for the transition or what experience was helpful for the transition. Did you do a postdoc or fellowship program to prepare you for your current position? If you did or did not complete a postdoc, how do you think that influenced your candidacy for your career? So I'll jump in to answer Andrea's question first. What is the short postdoc? My short postdoc was also a year and a half. So whoo -hoo. Um, <laughs> uh, my postdoc training was helpful um, and picking up skills that are important for this position. Um, while I was uh, 
in my postdoc, I got the opportunity to uh, work with my PI in a lot of imaging courses. So I did about three of those with him. So seeing the whole uh, aspect of how different imaging techniques work, making connections with the industry vendors, as well as learning how to organize, how the schedule should be organized, how much time you need for each thing, now allows me to design training courses from having that experience of what it's actually like to be the person at the microscope during the course. Um, as well as I did a little bit of conference organization, a small mini conference um, that became really helpful now in organizing a conference put on by our institute, um, as well as just more networking. That was nice. Um, I don't think that any of the particular papers I published during that time were critical in getting my position, but it did put me in the right place at the right time for this transition to administration. Well, um, I'll share, I did a one in a year, one year and a half postdoc. Um, it was an interesting postdoc. It gave me exposure to a different sector. So it was actually a very unique position where it was shared between a nonprofit organization and an academic university. Um, I actually did not have a good experience. Um, and so I was really unhappy there. Um, but I learned a lot. So I, I, tried to I tried to take from it what I could. And I took a lot from it. Um, but um, yeah, that's kind of um, yeah, it just gave me a good experience from the nonprofit side of things. Um, so I did not do a postdoc and I don't think it was, I don't think it was critical for, for me to get the position that I did get, but, um, I did need some hands-on experience. So, um, as I mentioned previously, I didn't try, I didn't start figuring out what I wanted to do or the avenue I wanted to go down until my last year of graduate school. And once I finally figured that out with, with a lot of help from Free the PhD, which I should mention, um, uh, in my last year, I was somehow convinced that um, I'm the one that needed to figure out my path. And it was up to me to figure out what it is that I liked and to narrow it down. And I realized now in hindsight that you should utilize all of the resources that you can and not think that um, a lot of it is incumbent on you to figure out. And so I didn't come to free the PhD till a little bit later in grad school, around the time that I was starting to write my thesis, um, sorry, my dissertation. And um, so I was juggling a lot at the time and I didn't um, fully commit, but once I actually fully committed to free the PhD, which is a site that helps um, graduate students um, figure out their career um, paths and also help you hone the skills that you would need to, to further um, be successful in that path. So once I figured out what I wanted to do with the help of Free the PhD, um, and I started going on interviews for a medical writer, or communication, um, science communication, a lot of the feedback I was getting was that I didn't have any hands-on experience, even though I had um, taken a couple courses in grad school for writing and communicating, um, they wanted hands-on experience. And I got that at Free the PhD. I became the social media coordinator and I started writing um, in, the letter, in, in the newsletter and coordinating that as well. And then once I was able to show my um, uh, future employers that, hey, I can do this, and I also have this degree and this background, they were able to look at that and say, okay, we'll take a chance on you because you're proactive during this time and you have something to show for it. So um, I don't think that, depending on what you're trying to do, I don't know that um, a postdoc is necessarily necessary. I think, again, the biggest problem is figuring out what you wanna do and then finding those tools and resources to help you get the, the skill set and some tangible experience in that, and then being able to translate that to whatever career it is that you're trying to pursue. I know uh, of all the careers going on here, I think I've probably got the weirdest one of them all. And so a postdoc was definitely not a requirement, given that I am the person in charge of everything that happens here. So um, <laughs> uh, it was it was not a consideration. Um, but there were definitely some things that happened while I was a grad student that I didn't realize at the time were actively helping me prepare for this specific role. And one of them was being a mentor to undergraduate researchers. So what I did during my term was help, I think, three or four students for semester or year-long projects tangential to what I was doing. So I was acting in a mentorship sort of position. And what I realized is that those sorts of interactions um, pl 
play out very well for learning how to communicate with people on things where you are the absolute expert. And so in running my business, it's positioned me better to communicate with people that I hire to help around the studio so that I can better assess what their strengths and weaknesses are and figure out how to work within their specific skill sets to meet all of our goals and the overall goals of the company as a whole. Um, and the other thing that really helped me that a postdoc never would was that my advisor was willing to give me some extra space to explore uh, circuit breaker labs. So circuit breaker labs started before I even went to grad school and it was sort of like a side hustle that I was running the whole time. So periodically, and I know this goes against most PhD experiences, uh, my PI would let me take a Friday off and drive to go do an event or whatever I needed to do to learn more about my business and how to run it. And so I tried to limit those uh, sort of freedoms so that I wasn't sacrificing uh, my research or my time in the lab. But what this did over the five years of my program is that I gradually learned more and more about myself and my business and how to manage those two separately. Um, but it also gave me an idea and some time to play around with the business as a career option. Of course, I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time, but now I know that if I had been more intentional about how I was spending my extracurricular time, maybe I would have taken more business classes or other things like that to sort of feel out what these other options were like. And if I could end, uh add to my answer because I kind of blanked, which is why I was so short. Um, like I said, my postdoc, um, it added value in a way that like it was in this nonprofit. Um, and so when I came to DOD and chose this position, um, it was very valuable because they wanted that perspective. And it was a little bit unique to have that additional sector experience. Um, and as far as, um, Oh yeah, and then using my professional society to help make that transition, so networking, and I actually found the postdoc through the professional society that I was a part of. Um, and yeah, I guess the other thing too is um, I, on the side, like similar to what Paul said, I knew I wanted this policy position. Um, so I did a lot of student government um, and I did do a lot of that without my advisor's knowledge, but he didn't know because I pretty much kept up the same level of productivity in the lab and then just managed to go to all my meetings, which another funny kind of stigma is my advisor's wife worked very closely with our lab. And um, so she was kind of like a secondary advisor. And she said to me when I got an award related to my government work, um, she was like, oh, Andrea, congratulations for getting an award that no advisor wants their student to get. So there's stuff like that that happens. Um, so there you go. Just stay true to what you care about. Wow, awesome. We got some shout outs in the chat saying how this is a super useful conversation here. And I think people are also saying how they really appreciate how you are talking openly about the good and the bad aspects of, of this journey and some of the obstacles that you guys have, have faced. And I guess I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you all more about your, your current positions. And I think a lot of people, I'm currently a grad student. I think one of the things that comes to mind is I don't really know what jobs are out there <laughs> that are outside of research. So one of the questions that we have listed here says, what does your day-to-day -day look like in your current position? Um, I'll go ahead, I guess. Um, I will add to, I had, um, I have a three and a half year old. Um, so I had him during, at the end of grad school, my postdoc. So there's that. Um, my day to day as a science policy fellow supporting the Department of Defense, while it was a lot different before the pandemic. So it's sadly disappointing, to be honest, for me, <laughs> uh, for someone who's been anticipating this position for over seven years. Um, so before the pandemic, I was like, running around DC, going to different interagency meetings with like the EPA, uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security, stuff like that, because we do chemicals and materials risk management. Um, so that overlaps with a lot of things like biosecurity um, and resources management. Um, so yeah, a lot of interagency meetings, I've had to hone project management because you just have a bunch of different things um, pop up every day. 
Um, and so it really does become important as a fellow, because I'm still early career and this is very much a professional development opportunity. Um, I do have a little freedom still as a fellow. And I think that's probably the benefit of a postdoc too, where you have a little bit of freedom to hopefully take some time for yourself for your, what you care about and what you want to develop as a professional. Um, so that's the value of what I'm doing right now. And I think also the value of a postdoc. Um, but now in the pandemic, I mean, obviously everyone knows we do so many virtual meetings. Um, and so that's me. And in fact, I've been on phone calls all day, um, literally have not gotten off the phone. I had 10 minutes for lunch today before we had this uh, discussion. So uh, just, it's a lot of partnership building, a lot of building trust, a lot of learning the language of different stakeholders. And so you just have to have this frequent communication with all your stakeholders. And so that means a lot of meetings. That means a lot of notes that I'm looking through to figure out how I need to change a PowerPoint presentation that I presented to a government agency official now to a military department. Um, so kind of changing the messaging in a way that's palatable to the people you're talking to. Um, so, yeah. Um, I remember when I was in grad school and I was having a conversation with one of my friends and I was saying, um, I wish there were a job where I could just um, make presentations, read papers, go to conferences, um, possibly give a couple talks here and there. And, and like, that would be it. Um, like just take those parts out of grad school. Like that would be a perfect job. And little did I know that's pretty much what I do as a medical writer. So I am constantly reading papers on different disease states um, or different drugs, depending on the, um, the client that we're working with. I make anywhere from like two to three decks or presentations a day. Um, I give a couple talks. Um, so we give internal talks. So as a medical writer, you're giving internal talks to your team to introduce them to the, the drug or the disease state or both. Um, and then you can also give talks to the client. So client-facing um, relations. But seeing that I just started a couple months ago, I'm more internal and I work my way um, to where I'm client facing. Um, and I do actually like the hustle and bustle. I do remember liking the, the fast pace of grad school. I wanted it to be fast paced Monday through Friday, not seven days a week. Um, and so that's pretty much my job. Um, on average, I do have a standard um, nine to six kind of hours, but depending on the deadline, what the client needs, how fast the, the drug rollout is or whatever, Sometimes you'll go over, um, but on average, I do have time. I do, I do have a set time where I can clock in and clock out. And it, the work pretty much stays within the work week. And those are pretty much my only requirements. I'm like, I can do fast pace, but five days a week. I do not wanna be on call on the weekends. I don't wanna be thinking about my project um, when I'm on vacation or feel like I'm tied down, with, which is one of the things I felt when I was in grad school. But again, that was also in part because you're working with live specimens, the pe people who work with animals um, felt like that. But um, the, I, I pretty much got the, the checklist things that I liked in grad school in this job that I had not even known existed while I was in grad school. Say there's a few parallels between being a grad student to being a business owner. One of them is uh, you are controlling your day-to-day -day operations. You're deciding which work gets done, which experiments you do. There are some sort of hard things outside of that, like presentations and um, group-based um, things, um, which I don't have as a business owner. But generally, I am in charge of everything. So I am the PI. I am the researcher. I'm the undergrad. I am everything. So I have to balance all of those roles on a daily basis. And I find that I have a lot of to-do lists separated by, you know, which kind of hat I'm wearing at which particular time. So my day-to-day -day is going to change based on the time of year. Um, uh, I'm very much influenced uh, by various quarters. So fourth quarter being holiday sales, that's my busy season. And first quarter is sort of my season of renewal of doing inventory and reassessing the business, developing goals and strategies for the year. Second quarter is the slowest quarter of all. And I'm learning that I have to either find other ways to use my time during that quarter or just realize that that is not the quarter of the year that my business is in full motion and use that time just to prepare for other quarters that are. 
So the day-to-day, -day, I guess, like I said before, is parallels to grad school where I'm just looking at what needs to get done, prioritizing based on urgency, and making sure that I'm keeping up with customer expectations. Um, and the other thing I do on a daily basis, which maybe is something, um, if, if professional development and network is important to you, you may find some parallels here, is that I find it very important to keep top of mind on my customers. So whether it's your personal brand or for me, my business brand, just proving that I'm reliable, that I'm in this every single day. If you call me, I will answer. If you send me an email, it will come back very quickly. And those sorts of traits I picked up from grad school where I found certain interactions with other people worked really well. So I carried those over um, into my business. So in my role, I'm responsible for the day-to-day -day operations and administrations of the training programs at our institute. So uh, postbacs, graduate students, and postdocs. And in addition, I also uh, play a role in coordinating our scientific and training events for the whole institute. So uh, similar to uh, Amanda, my job is seasonal. So uh, depending on the quarter, I'm usually managing different applications, either for a PhD program or for a postback program. Um, and I'm also uh, working on doing a lot of event organizations, so setting up interviews for our graduate program. And that uh, similarly to having internal and external communications, I have to make different versions of things to communicate with the faculty, to communicate with the applicants, to communicate with the current students, and making sure everyone's coming together in the right way to make as perfect of, event, of an event as you can, especially when it's virtual and you're trying it out for the first time. <laughs> um, so my job before the pandemic was always in the office uh, with a revolving door of trainees coming in to chat, talk about different things, which is one of the, my favorite parts of the job is having that type of interaction. Um, but aside from that, it's a lot of event planning, um, structuring things on a larger timescale out than I was used to in my PhD. I thought, you know, planning experiments two or three months in advance, this is hardcore organization. And now I'm working on 2023 right now. So, um, you know, that, that's been very different. Um, I'd say the one thing I have to get used to is whenever there's downtime between meetings, things like that, it is very fast paced. So it's getting those little replies back in emails and things like that makes a big difference, but it is kind of a full pack day instead of uh, hurrying up to wait, as we would say sometimes the biochemical experiments go. Awesome. Yeah, now that you all have described what you do, I, I'm curious on how, how did you all find your current positions or, or what did networking look like or how did you, I, I am also speaking as someone interested in transitioning out of research, how do I find a job? Yeah, I think for me, like I said, I'm going to keep saying like my professional society was really integral um, for, for those who are interested in my career path. It was Society of Toxicology. They have a lot of really good resources um, and mentoring networks. Um, and like, I'll just emphasize again, informational interviews, just talk to people about what they do um, and how they got there. And then that gives you an idea of how to do that. So. I would say um, a big resource that, I, that I'm super grateful and thankful for is Free the PhD, which I feel like I'm gonna be mentioning a lot of. Um, they were my first resource into um, alternative careers outside of academia. And it was getting into contact with them and getting this hands-on experience. And they do offer um, informational interviews or I guess, yeah, so they, they conduct those interviews. And then as, um, as members of Free the PhD, you're able to uh, ask in questions or just sit in on the interviews and listen to conversations similar to this, where you get um, the breadth of information about the, the specific job, what it took to get this job. And, and you can ask, um, the individual's questions, whatever questions you have about their specific career. So that was a great resource. And again, they um, gave me tangible um, material that I can show when I went on interviews. And also I'm going to stress networking. Um, I know most people always stress networking and you always think, how do I network? That, that was always my question. Like, I always hear networking, but like, what does that mean? Do I just like hop on LinkedIn and email people or, or um, is it at conferences? Do you hand out cards? And I've, I'm finding that networking is as easy as just um, maintaining the relationships that you already made. And, and those relationships end up yielding 
um, I guess, results for lack of a better word. So for example, the career that I'm, the job that I currently have was based off of a grad student that I worked with in a lab that I rotated in. So it sounds so many degrees removed, but um, I was a freelancer early last year. Um, uh, I was a freelance medical writer and I got a LinkedIn um, message from this grad student that I worked with for three months in a rotation. And she was like, hey, I just saw that you're a freelance medical writer. We're looking for medical writers. Would you be interested? And I was like, oh my gosh, like I haven't heard from you or even spoken to you in five years. Um, but this was a, a, a reference or a resource that you don't really think of. And th that's that would be um, one of my big, big uh, recommendations. Also update your LinkedIn because had I not updated it and put in that I was freelancing at the time, which I was free freelancing for maybe two or three months. And had I not updated it, I would have never came on her radar and then this job would have never um, happened. So um, stay active on your platforms, update your, your, your platforms with your information, but also nurture and mature the relationships that you already made in grad school at conferences. Um, you can try again to do informational interviews. I know those are kind of intimidating to just reach out to strangers, but um, I find that most people do want to talk about what they do and they're very welcoming, welcoming and open. And um, the more information you have, the better you are prepared to make decisions and to, to better situate yourself to get the job and the career that you really want. Um, I'm a strong believer in building something if it doesn't already exist. So don't look for permission from someone else if something you want to do doesn't have a formal place to go and do it. Um, I mean, this works really well in business. I'm not sure how that translates to other areas, but I'd say if there's something you're interested in and, it, and you can't figure out anything, just start it. Start a club, start an organization. There will be other people who will be interested in it um, at the very least. Um, from a business standpoint and from my background of growing my business out of small arts based communities, my mentorship network bubble is very not overlapped at all with my PhD network. So I wish there had been more that would connect the two of them. There's one person I know that um, was able to connect the two of those together. So she was a really valuable person to me because she was able to understand what I was doing, understand the headspace I was in and why I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And she had a PhD and an arts business and was still working in academia and selling the work that she created. So it was amazing having sort of an existing archetype to look at and be like, okay, this is possible. And if you can't find it even that close to home, I don't see why you couldn't find it in other departments. Um, this woman happened to be in the chemistry department, but her area of expertise had nothing to do with mine. So we couldn't even talk chemistry to each other because what we were doing was so vastly different. So I'd encourage others, if you're looking at possibilities, there's nothing that says if you're in chemistry, you can't go talk to biologists. Um, so don't put up walls around yourself that are superficial. Um, and then with regards to that other network of artists that I was talking about, we don't have a professional society that we can go and meet. Our meetings end up being live events while we're selling our work and we network in between like dead space when no one's there, no customers to talk to. And so we have developed over time our own networks online through chat groups and Facebook groups and things like that. And those sorts of networking opportunities, they're not traditional uh, like they are in the sciences where there's conferences and meetings and, and ways to interact with people. Um, you have to be more willing to go outside of what's normal and do something different. Um, look for networking opportunities in places where you're not used to finding them. And then specifically related to business, if you're even remotely interested in business, um, whether it's related or not to your PhD, I strongly recommend getting in touch with a national organization called SCORE. It's organized by Small Business Administration. It's run mostly by retirees and volunteers. And what they can do is just give you information, talk about your ideas, talk about what's possible, give you a starting point. So if you've got an inclination that you're interested in something, that's a good place to start. So uh, 
I guess to follow up on that, I would say, yeah, the biggest advice I have for um, for getting involved in figuring out what you want to do in your career and stuff. Uh, I was always the uh, postdoc at our institute who was willing to volunteer, help out, work with other departments and administration. You need somebody for a photo shoot. You want to borrow my microscope for 10 minutes? Sure, I'll text you when I'm in between experiments. So just being a positive person and willing to put yourself out there just to see if interacting with a different group of people or trying something different. And half the things I did, people said would never benefit me later in life. Like, why are you just TAing for another imaging course? You've already done one and put it on your CV. It's like, well, it's actually kind of fun. You know, you get, it's the only time you get stress-free, goofy experiments you never, never do otherwise because we've got things to do and we're broke. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, if you just put yourself out there in a positive way and you're your genuine self without trying to uh, impress people, I find that that's always well received positivity and genuineness. I think I'll just add too is like this comes back around to us articulating really strongly what we care about and what we want to do. Like Amanda said, finding that niche of importance and communicating that in a way that makes it matter to other people. For me, I guess I could tell you exactly how I found out about the AAAS fellowship is it was actually during my interview at Ohio State for grad school. Um, one of the senior grad students who was part of the graduate student organization, um, I was just telling him what I was interested in and we happened to have the same interest. And so he knew about this policy fellowship that I did not know of. And literally from that day that he told me about that fellowship, I was like, I'm going to get that fellowship. How am I going to get it? And luckily he became kind of like a mentor to me where he told me, okay, do student government, do this, get all this on your CV and don't just get stuff on your CV. Kind of like what Paul said, like, why are you doing it? And so for me, like I did the government and policy, not to just check a box, but I did it in a purposeful way where I got awards for doing it, you know, so make it valuable. Like, don't just do it to check a box, um, really get some value out of it um, by, you know, trying to leverage for awards or recognition to show this was, you know, I have this skill set and this is why I have a skill set because I got this award or I had this thing. Um, so I would like to add one more um, quick thing to, to my point. Um, um, another piece of advice I would give is to um, even if it feels like you're making a small step to your goal, a small step is better than no step. And so um, the job that I had officially applied for um, was they they for the freelancing job it was called flywheel um they didn't think i had enough experience again um for the job but they liked me so much at the interview that they offered me an internship and i could have turned it down and been like this is not what i'm looking for um, i'm going to continue applying and try to find what i'm looking for but i appreciated the fact that they wanted to give me a chance and i knew that whatever i was learning at this internship it was also a paid internship but whatever I was learning at this internship would be valuable to me um, when I wanted to become a, a, a medical writer because I would be getting experience here, which is the feedback I was getting at all my other interviews. So I took the internship and I did so well at the internship that they offered me the freelance position. Um, so I took that still applying to other jobs because I wanted a um, regular full-time job. But all, all this to say that even if you're offered something that you think, mm, I don't know, I could, I want this specific thing, just end up thinking, is this job that I'm taking going to get me like a little bit closer to the thing that I want? Or is this going to fill out a requirement for the thing that I want? And the thing that I needed was experience. Um, and so that did that for me. So um, I just want to make sure that people are like switching their mindset a little bit and not thinking like, this is my end game. And if I don't get this, then I don't want this. Um, think about it in increments and not as just like a a jump to the goal. Right, awesome. We have one question submitted in the chat, which asks, how do you advertise the transferable skills you developed during your PhD to employers so that they don't see you as an inexperienced student? So how do you talk to employers uh, as a PhD, coming out of PhD, trying to look for a job? Um, one of the I guess, um, exercises that I did once I joined the Free to PhD, this was suggested to me by the, the founder, Vey, was to make a list of everything I'd ever done in grad school. Anything that I didn't even think was um, applicable, like mentoring or um, different classes that I took that weren't required. 
requirements for my neuro degree, um, anything I did on the side, just write them down. And then I would write what I learned from those experiences. And then just doing that, you get so many transferable um, um, skills. So again, mentoring, you learn how to be a leader, how to express yourself, how to communicate, how to train. And so just seeing all that on paper makes it so much easier for you to then relay that to someone who is interviewing you. Like you're like, yes, I did this and this, this doesn't quite, um, this wasn't an official title or, or, but doing this gave me this experience. And so I can speak to all of these things. So I would say um, making a list of everything that you've done in grad school or even before and writing what you've learned from that, which will give you a great jumping off point. I think that's a great suggestion, Camelia. And I have thought about like this, a similar thing, an analogy is this kind of like uh, when you're building a paper and you get all the figures and the data together, it doesn't always come in that order too, but it's about taking this list of things you've learned and conveying it objectively and crafting a story out of it. So you don't have to really tell everything exactly how it happened. Maybe you accidentally fell into some opportunity, but you can make it sound like a really great transition that next I had gained this interest. And so I took advantage of this opportunity to try it out and I picked up these skills. And I think as long as you keep it objective is the best way to advertise your skill set because it just lets people know there's a real logical basis to this. Yeah, I think you can, I think Camelia really just gave the best advice is just taking inventory of what you've done and um, then pulling out the skills that it took to do that, to kind of articulate that really well to whoever is looking to hire, or, you know, to show your value. Um, you have to get really good at reframing your skill set. So for example, I did the, uh, the, AAAS fellowship offers a lot of professional development money. So one of the things I've used it for is career coaching. It's expensive. You can't, it's not really affordable to be honest if I didn't have the professional development funds. So I took advantage of it. Um, and one of the things recently and one of the calls with him was, you know, I did this science communication fellowship and he was just like, oh, well, that's just like, you know, what did you do? Like, maybe you just put that under like a showing that you're good at science communication. And what it really was, it was, it was like formal media training, but I didn't even know how to articulate that very well until he kind of told me it didn't mean a lot. And then I was like, wait a minute, no, this is valuable. How is it valuable? I got formal media training and that's exactly what it was. And that's really valuable. Um, so just really trying to find the value. And I think you could do this in informational interviews. You could ask people like, I have these things what is valuable about them or like just try to work through it with them on like how you can talk about it better. You're not lying. You're just, you know, being better about communicating it, you know? So. Awesome. All right. This has been an amazing, amazing panel. And as we wrap it up, do you all have any last pieces of advice that you want to leave our audience with today? So I think when it comes to finding an alternative career in science and figuring out uh, the direction you wanna go, that everyone's experience really is unique and different. No two applicants tend to have the exact same PhD training or uh, qualifications, soft skills coming in. So I wouldn't stress about trying to figure out what the perfect play is to get where you wanna go. Like some of the other panelists have said, you know, thinking in minor positive increments of moving yourself along is a great way to do it. but at the end of the day, things tend to work out if you do good work and you're not a jerk and you put yourself out there. You know, that's really it. It's not a magical hidden secret. I think it's important to, as early as possible, have a really honest self-talk about what you value most out of your life, what makes you the happiest, and work backwards trying to figure out what sort of career path may help you achieve those base needs that you want out of your life. It took me a while to get to the point where I understood why I loved entrepreneurship so much. And if I had actually put some thought into it sooner, I may have figured out what I wanted sooner instead of going through the entire pro process, which I don't regret. What I learned in my PhD is applicable to so many aspects of life, which is also why it drives me crazy when people say I've wasted it or, or that um, why, why would you even bother? And I, I find those to be very short-sighted um, comments. But generally, if, if you can 
maybe outside the problem, if you can't figure out what you want to do, but if you can identify characteristics of what you would like to do and then talk with your network and just keep interacting and networking with other people, you'll gather enough data points that you can start to flesh in what this is that you're looking for. My advice would be to use your resources. Um, so the fact that you're watching this panel um, on the PhD balance or you're taking a quiz to figure out the different jobs um, that are available to you. I think that that's a great place to start. Um, half of what took me so long was the fact that I didn't know what was out there. So it was doing the research, figuring that out, and then trying to position myself in the best um, way or light to, to get that career. So I think half the job is done once you figure out what you wanna do. And then the other half is just getting there. And um, you're trained to critically think as PhDs and to figure out um, the best way to assess something or to, to come at something. So again, I think the, the biggest hurdle is to figure out what you wanna do. And then the rest is just what you're already trained to do. Get it, um, get the information. And, and, and so that would be my, my, my advice. So, so look up sites that help you um, narrow that down or help you train for different careers that are outside of academia and then you're well on your way. Yeah, I think Camelia's advice on incremental is really good. Um, kind of pace yourself and um, see what little tasks you can do to get to where you wanna go. Um, I think I'll re-echo boundaries, um, especially in these training positions, whether you're a graduate student, a postdoc, or you know, as I am right now, a fellow. Um, these are professional development positions. And honestly, we don't get paid enough to do the work of someone who's paid for a full-time normal position and gets taxes taken out of their paycheck. So like you really do need to carve out the space for yourself to just assert um, like your own professional development and what matters to you. And if that means saying no to things that just are not relevant for where you're trying to go, say no and, you know, be firm and um, make whoever's asking you to do that thing understand why. <laughs> like um, for me, that would be, um, you know, I've had a lot of things come up for toxicology, it's like environment or human health for the most part. Um, and so I'll have things that come up that are more related to like ecotoxicology and environment. And I'll be like, no, I'm focusing on human health. Um, and so just asserting that, and it also protects your time and it also protects your ability to do something really well so that other people notice you doing something really well and then you get a job out of it. So like, that's really important. So just prioritize yourself and get really used to saying to yourself to like affirm like, your expertise and your abilities is just saying like, whatever um, whatever matters to you is most important. Um, I think that's like one of my personal affirmations because like I constantly, you know, I'm still early career and I find myself questioning my expertise and my ability to contribute to some of the science policy decisions that I have the privilege of contributing to right now. Um, and that's not true. Like you got your PhD, you've demonstrated your expertise and that's enough and just be confident with that. So that's my advice. I also wanted to add that if you haven't figured out what those boundaries are yet, that it could be beneficial to say yes to opportunities that come up um, that maybe you think aren't quite right um, because you may find out that you learn or meet other people or are able to network or just put yourself in a different position um, gain a different perspective. And so this may be even more applicable when you're in your earlier years of your PhD, when you're still even getting used to your own lab. So when I was um, in my second year, I hadn't even taken the candidacy exam yet. I became part of a fellowship. Uh, it's called IGER. It's Integrative Graduate Education and Research Traineeship. And it was sponsored by NSF. And the point of this traineeship was that it was a two-year program that combined um, students from multiple disciplines. So I worked with people in other science disciplines. So engineering, optics, chemical engineering, and um, I think a few others, and then myself in chemistry. And we worked as a cohort together and took classes um, under the umbrella of solar energy um, and how you would explain it to other people. I guess that's a simple way of putting it. So in addition to our normal coursework and research, we had to take other classes about marketing and energy 
sources, energy policy, communication, um, history of energy, and um, there were several projects involved as well. So out of this, I got other experiences. So one of the requirements was that I had to work an internship. And as a graduate student, working an internship while you're a graduate student is kind of a really weird thing to do. At least it was in my department. So it's hard to find an internship. Um, but thankfully, my PI's network kicked in here because I was too young to have my own network. And I ended up working at a, a national lab in Colorado. And it also involved travel and going to conferences that we wouldn't normally have gone to. So we went to an energy policy um, conference and we went to a ARPA conference. It's like defense tech, I think was the idea there. And because they have a lot of focus on energy and energy policy, um, it was certainly something I never would have gone to as a chemist and certainly not in my synthetic studies. Um, but it was really interesting to keep being forced into these situations with people I wouldn't have normally interfaced with, talking about things that were related to what I was doing, but not perfect match. So we were able to come together as a diverse group from different backgrounds and commingle. And, and I think that's really, really important early on in your PhD so that you can learn how to talk to other people and that how important and valuable these interactions can be. And so that was like, I think, an extreme example. But if if there are committees you could join and or other maybe local campus based things that you could be a part of, if someone needs something, just say yes and see what it's about. You may find that you really like some particular aspect of this thing you didn't know existed. All right. This panel has been awesome. We have plenty of shout outs in the chat about people saying how valuable it is to hear from all of you and your journeys, some of the obstacles, and also what you what your current jobs are and how you are enjoying them and how that's been, uh, how that transition went from your PhD. So this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you all for being with us here today. This has been the Future Careers panel from PhD Balance. And if you did like our panel today, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel to get notifications about our next virtual events. Again, my name is Faye Lin. I'm a PhD candidate in biochemistry at UCLA. And I had the honor of being our moderator today. Again, thank you all for being here. And I guess we will catch you all next time. So bye all.